you have notes today, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Obadiah. Obadiah, we're headed into an interesting part of the book of Obadiah. And let's read, uh, as you turn there, let's read verses 15 through 21. It's this third section of the book. You have a chart there at the top of your notes. You can see the portion highlighted in red that we're looking at today. Uh, Obadiah has at least five warnings for the proud, but there's also underneath those warnings to proud Edom, there is hope for humbled people who will... And and let me say this, I say hope for the humble in your notes a lot of times, but it's really probably the more accurate way is hope for the humbled because there's not these two categories. Oh, there's the proud people over there and I'm hanging out here. I'm one of the humble people. No, we're all over here in the proud and only by the grace of God do we get humbled and broken, and in our humbled brokenness, we turn to the Lord, and then all of a sudden, in His grace, we get these promises. Are you with me? So we are part of the humbled, and that's exactly what's going on with Judah. They are being humbled, even though they are in in, in covenant relationship with the Lord. And so, let's read this, look at it in your Bible, follow along. We'll begin in verse 15. For the day of the Lord draws near on all the nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your dealings will return on your head. Let me just say here in verse 15 that it says the day draws on all nations. But then the reaping and sowing in that verse 15, it's in the singular. You, Edom, as you have done, it will be done to you, Edom. Your dealings will return on your own head. Verse 16, why? Because just as you drank, and we're going to see in a moment, now, and you can't see this in English, but because in English, you is singular and plural, right? But down south, plural is you all, right? And so it would be better if these Bible translations would do that. So, so in verse 15, it's you, singular, but all of a sudden it goes back in verse 16, Because just as you all drank on my holy mountain, all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and swallow and become as if they never existed. But, but on Mount Zion there will be those who escape. And it will be holy. And the house of Jacob, contrast between Jacob and Esau, Jacob will possess their possessions. Then the house of Jacob will will be a fire in the house of Joseph. Notice he switches from Jacob to Joseph. The house of Joseph, a flame. And the house of Esau will be as stubble. And they will set them on fire and consume them, so that there will be no survivor of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken." Then those of the Negev will possess the mountain of Esau, and those of the Shepelah, the Philistines of the plain, and also possess the territory of Ephraim and of the territory of Samaria. And Benjamin will possess Gilead, 
and the exiles of this host of the sons of Israel who are among the Canaanites as far as Zarephath, and the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Zarephath will possess, notice the repetition, possess, possess, possess the cities of the Negev. The deliverers will ascend Mount Zion to judge the mountain of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. Now, you know, prophecy can be overwhelming. You have to keep reading it. You have to keep studying it. And hopefully you're here to learn more about it. So here's what I want to do. I want to walk you through the meaning of 15 through 18 today. And then I want to apply the warning here of reaping and sowing as a warning to the proud and then as hope to the humble. So the first thing I want to do, let's just... Let's just walk through what these verses mean, and I think you'll appreciate them better. So, the bottom line is, Obed-Edom, Jeremy, I said it last week for you, even though you weren't here. Obed-Edom and all the proud nations will reap what they sowed on the day of the Lord. So, verse 15, first thing you want to see, it's a pivot. It's a pivot from the previous verses, payday for the proud, on the day of the Lord. Payday for the proud on the day of the Lord. Last week's lesson. You can listen to it online. Verse 16. What's that going to look like? Verse 16. Drinking the cup of eternal wrath. Drinking the cup of eternal wrath by the proud enemies of the Lord and His people. So notice verse 16. Because just as you drank on my holy mountain... All the nations will drink continually. They will drink and swallow. What is that drinking? It is the drinking, ultimately, of the cup of God's wrath. Now, here's what I want you to see. And I tried to already show you this. That both in verses 15 and 16, there's this blurring of what Edom did to Judah and the judgment on Edom with the judgment on all proud nations that attack Israel. So there's this blurring. And what we want to ask about verse 16 is this. Who drank what? Who drank what? We need to think through that. Now, some people say in verse 16, just as you drank refers to Edom only. Okay? It refers to Edom only. Is that true? Well, I don't think so. Because when Edom is addressed, it's usually in the singular. Okay, Edom as a single nation. And as I told you here in verse 16, it's plural. You all drank. So I don't think it's Edom. Okay? Secondly, some people say, well, you drank refers to Judah and Israel, who had to drink the cup of God's wrath on Mount Zion. You know, they were disciplined by the Lord. But again, here's the thing. In this, in this short little book of Obadiah, God's people are never directly addressed. And I'm, that kind of caught me, and I went back to check that. And I'm like, yeah, they are never directly addressed. They're listening in as Obadiah predicts doom on Edom. So I don't think it's Judah and Israel. So the, the, and the reason some people say that, is because they want the drinking in this passage to always be drinking God's wrath. So in verse 16, it would be, Just as you, Judah, Israel, 
drank my wrath on my holy mountain, all the nations are going to drink my wrath. But again, Judah's never directly addressed. So I don't think that's the case. So what is it? You drank refers to Edom and her allies, the nations that she cooperated with in attacking Judah. So that's why it's plural. It's not merely Edom. It's Edom and the Philistines, Edom and the Arabs. And I think God's expanding that to say, all you nations who down through history have drank not in God's wrath, but you drank in drunken victory over my people. I mean, so, you know, we, we saw all the gloating and the boasting that Edom did. And what do soldiers do when they conquer a nation? Sadly, what they do is they gloat and often rape and pillage and drink in drunkenness of celebration. We are the mighty nations. We've conquered Judah and Israel. We have conquered their God. And so I think that's, that's what this is saying. And so if you see there in your notes, the drunkenness is two kinds of drunkenness. So in, in the beginning of verse 16, he's saying, Just as you, Edom, and other Gentile nations have drunk in victory on my holy mountain, you unsaved rebel nations have defiled my holy mountain thinking you have conquered over me in your drunken celebrations. Well, guess what? Just as you did that, all the nations will now drink the cup of my wrath and they will drink it and swallow it and become as if they never existed. So do you see that? He says, you had, so here's the idea. You had your drunken celebration and it seemed like you had conquered me and my people. But there's coming a day when you're going to drink the cup of my wrath and you're going to drink it totally. And you're going to drink it continually. And you're going to drink it eternally and become as though you never existed. Wow. And that kind of gives you the reap what you sow idea. Well, you sowed your drunken celebration. Well, guess what? You're going to reap drinking every drop of my wrath. Wow. Verse 17, there comes a contrast, though. That's what the unbelieving nations have. Oh, that's what they're going to reap from what they sow. But look at verse 17. Verse 17 talks about God's people. But on Mount Zion, there will be those who escape. And so the point of verse 17 is this. Possessing the blessings of eternal redemption by a humbled humbled remnant of the house of Jacob. You think you have defeated my people and you drank in your drunken celebration, but there will be a remnant that will escape. And they, they will possess eternal redemption instead of eternal wrath. Wow. Let's look at that. Now, why does he call it the house of Jacob? Because he's doing this contrast between fleshly Esau, fleshly Jacob, the nation of Edom, the nation of Judah. But also he's saying this. I think he's reminding us that Jacob was once a proud schemer. Amen. 
And he thought he could do things in his own power and overcome and get his way and deceive his brother and deceive his dad. And what happened? The Lord came down and wrestled with him by the brook Jabbok. And he wrestled with God. And guess what? When you wrestle with God, you don't win. He came out with a limp. But because he had faith in the one he was wrestling with, and because he asked as a broken humbled man, to be blessed by this God. He was blessed and his name was changed to Israel, but he always walked with a limp, reminding, not me, but him. And so what he's saying is, look, house of Jacob, you got cocky too, and you thought you could rule over your kingdom without me, and you could defy me. And you could break my commandments. But guess what? I have humbled you. But there's coming a day where you're going to win by the grace of God. And you're going to come out of this broken, humbled, but blessed. Amen? Hey, as you go through this book, say, oh, dear God, break me before you have to judge me. Humble me that I call out to you on grace so that I can receive your blessings rather than drink the cup of your judgment. So look at the three outcomes in verse 17. What are these blessings? The three outcomes is the remnant is going to dwell on Mount Zion, having been redeemed. You will be escape. You will escape the judgment. And you will dwell on Mount Zion. And Mount Zion will be secured in holiness. Remember how the the, the drunken nations defiled God's holy mountain. And even now, you can go to the, the land of Israel. You can go to the holy land. And guess what? Jerusalem, the, the capital and the nation, it's defiled. There's not holiness unto Even the Israelites who live there are unbelieving and defiled. And so, but there's coming a day when the nation's going to be restored and once again, Jerusalem's going to be holy and it's going to be securely holy. And then the house of Jacob will possess their possessions. Look at the end. The real ultimate outcome is this. You will possess your possessions. Now, whenever you see that kind of repetition in the Hebrew or in the Old Testament, it's for emphasis. So, like, if you really are going to possess something, you would say, you're going to possess your possessions. And if you really wanted to say it, you will always possess your possessions, and you're going to possess them. And so the idea is fulfillment. The idea is blessing. And so this is a key word. We read it. It's repeated five times at the end of Obadiah. And you say, okay, what does this word mean? I, I got a couple blanks there, and I didn't put them on the screen. And so here's the idea. When possessing means two things. One, it means conquering. And second, it means claiming. So it means possessing refers to conquering those who once conquered and dispossessed them. And it also means claiming the inheritance as promised to them by the Lord. So... And you say, well, Chris, do I need to know Hebrew to figure these things out? No, keep reading your Bible, because think about it. What did God say? Possess, you know, what did he say to, uh, to Joshua in the book of Judges, or the book of Joshua? Go in and what? Possess 
the land. Now, how did they possess the land? What did they have to do? They had to step on it. They had to go in it. Was there anybody there? They had to conquer them. There you go. They had to fight. They had to conquer. If you're going to possess the land, you're going to have to go in and you're going to have to conquer the people that are there. But in conquering them, what were they then doing? And Jeff brought this out. They were stepping on land saying, this is mine. And the Lord said to each tribe, here's where you got to go. You got to go conquer your enemies. Here's where you're going to go. Here's your inheritance. And so really these two ideas of possessing are a cause and effect. You can't claim your inheritance until your enemies are conquered. So what is he saying? When he's saying you're going to possess your possessions, he's saying, look, there's coming a day when the enemies of God and his people are going to be conquered, and when they are conquered, you get to claim all the blessings that you were promised. And he's saying this to the house of Jacob whose name is Israel. Here is a promise that is as literal, and I believe will be literally fulfilled, that there's coming a day when Israel and Judah are going to be reunited as the nation of Israel, and in that day, their enemies are going to be conquered, and they're going to go in and claim their possession of the promised land in this future day of the Lord. Are you with me? Well, that's the idea. Okay, that's what's going on. Now, notice we come (coughs) and think about the reap what you sow of what's going on. Those who came in and conquered you and danced on on, uh, Mount Zion, there's coming a day when you're going to go and you're going to conquer them. Those who removed you from the promised land... There's coming a day and they dispossessed you. There's coming a day when you're going to come back and possess all that I promised to you. It's a beautiful irony of reaping and sowing. Okay? Now, let's look at verse 18. So Israel's going to be redeemed as a nation, and they're going to possess all that promised the Lord promised them on the day of the Lord. But notice, then the house of Jacob will be a fire and the house of Joseph. Okay, like what is going on? Well, you got to read your Old Testament. You got to remember, what's the story of Jacob? What's the story of Esau? What's the story of Joseph? So here's the idea. Verse 18 is about reaping fiery judgment by the proud descendants of fleshly Esau. From the humble descendants of not Jacob, but now Joseph. Joseph. And notice the fiery imagery. The house of Jacob's going to be fire. The house of Joseph, a flame. And what's Esau? He's just that stubbly leftovers of grain. And what does fire do? It's just going to, it's just going to ignite it. It's just going to destroy it. And it's great judgment. And it's going to come, not just, it's going to come from a descendant, the house of Joseph, a descendant of Joseph. So here, let's ask the question, why the house of Joseph? Okay, so turn your Bibles to Genesis 45, 7. 
Here's the answer. Why the house of Joseph? We've been talking Jacob. Why Joseph? Well, here's the answer. Look at Genesis 45, 7. This is the climax of the story of Joseph. And you know the story. He, he was, he was uh, predicted by the Lord and chosen by the Lord to rule over his family. And his brothers were jealous, the other 11 brothers. And so they sold him into slavery, into Egypt. And so he became a humbled slave, humbled as low as you can go. But he remained faithful to the Lord. And in that faithfulness, what did God ultimately do? He exalted Joseph over all of Egypt, which meant at that time over all the nations. And in exalting him over all the nations, God used Joseph to save a remnant of his family from drought, right? Remember that story? Well, here's what he says. Look, at, look in your Bible, Genesis 45, 7. He says to his brothers, God sent me before you, boom, to preserve for you a remnant in the earth, and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. I have in your notes the Legacy Standard Bible, which is a newer edition of the New American Bible. And here's what they, how they translate that. So God sent me before you to establish for you a remnant in the earth and keep you alive for a great remnant of survivors. This word remnant is the same word back here in Obadiah. In verse uh, 17, but on Mount Zion, there will be those who escape the same Hebrew word, an escaped remnant. The Bible's connecting. And here's the idea. Joseph saved his little family. And that little family became a great remnant in Egypt under Moses, right? And possessed the promised land. And what God is saying is there's coming a day. When there's going to be one who is better than Joseph, who's going to come as a humbled servant and be despised and be humiliated. And yet he will be better than Joseph, not only faithful, but sinless. And he will serve his God and he will be crucified and he will be buried and God will exalt him, not as king over Egypt, but who? King over all the nations king over all the universe, and he will save out of Israel a remnant to become a great nation in the last days. And in doing so, the good news is, between his first coming and second coming, that humbled servant, that exalted sovereign king, has a message to all Gentiles, you and me, that we can get in on this coming kingdom, that we don't have to be Jewish. We can simply be followers of the king if we will humble ourselves and place our faith. Is that, isn't that a beautiful? I mean, all of a sudden you're looking at this passage in Obadiah and you're like, whoa, that has relevance for the nation of Israel, but it has relevance for me. Because there's coming a day where instead of reaping fiery judgment, I can actually gain the blessings of the kingdom. Are, are you with me? So what's, what's these verses about? These verses are about this. 
Reap what you sow. The proud will drink a cup of fiery wrath. The humbled will feast at the king's table. I don't know about you, but that was worth coming today. There's only two outcomes. There's only two destinies. You're either going to drink and you're going to swallow every last drop of eternal wrath, or you're going to humble yourself and put your faith in the better Joseph and you will feast at the king's table receiving every blessing in the coming kingdom. Woo! Man, I'm excited. That's just good stuff. Well, what's this have to do with you and me? Turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. Well, first of all, I hope the relevance was just revealed to you. You know, if I, I can't get too much more relevant than that. But let's look at Galatians. Because when we look at something in the Old Testament, we want to get that timeless principle. You reap what you sow. Sow to the flesh. Reap the flesh. Sow to the Spirit. Well, where's that principle in the New Testament? Well, here it is. Galatians chapter 6. Verses 7 through 10. So for the rest of this lesson, I just want to take these verses and I want to break it down into a warning to the proud and give hope to the humbled here this morning. And let's read these verses together. Take take a look. Galatians 6, 7 through 10. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man or woman sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. That's the fiery judgment. That's the eternal wrath that Obadiah is talking about. But the one who sows to the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Eternal life isn't a get out of hell card. Eternal life is the Spirit dwelling but also the hope of living in God's kingdom. It's feasting at the king's table for all of eternity. And notice what it says. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Notice how Paul ends this. You are your brother's keeper. Isn't that from Obadiah? That's exactly from Obadiah. I'm not saying he's got Obadiah in mind, but I'm saying the same themes. Esau, flesh, Jacob, spirit. Be your brother's keeper, especially your covenant family. Man, I get excited about this. So let me give you five warnings to the proud. Or I'm sorry. uh, Yeah, five reminders to the proud about sowing and reaping. We're just going to go through these quickly. This law of sowing and reaping, number one, it's biblical. It's biblical. So it's not just Obadiah. It's in Galatians. It's all over the Bible. And I said last week, once I studied Obadiah, you see it all through the prophets. And so whenever I see what God's doing in the nations in the news... I don't try to figure out, you know, prophecy. I just, I'm reminded, whatever I'm seeing, we are, we, are, we are reaping what we've sown. This is biblical. This is God's judgment. So, number one, it's biblical. It's biblical. And I just read it to you. 
Number two, the application is universal. The application is universal. Whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. There's no exceptions to this law. You can't say, well, I'm going to sow this and I'm going to reap something different. No, it's universal. Whatever a man sows, it applies to every aspect of your life. It's true in both the natural realm and the spiritual. You put corn in, what's going to grow? Watermelon. No, what, you put corn in, what are you going to get? Corn. You get watermelon, you put watermelon in, you're going to get watermelon. It's just, it's, it's universal. Listen to this quote. The dynamic of sowing and reaping is reality. The law of the harvest is woven into the fabric of this world. Just as it would be unwise to test the law of gravity by driving a car off the top of a parking garage... Unless you're Jason Bourne, you know, then it does work out. But if you're not, so too, it would be unwise to test the law of the harvest by living a life centered upon ourselves. The consequences would be just as ugly. Flaunting either law, the law of gravity or the law of sowing and reaping, will only end in destruction or even death. So don't be deceived. Our actions have serious Long-term consequences. Indeed, God designed it to be that way. Therefore, number three, the warning is unconditional. It is unconditional. Man, there are few, fewer, uh, more powerful words than these words. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. I can sow over here in secret. But I won't reap in public. I can sow just a little sin, and I won't reap anything from that. You, it, this is unconditional. It is unconditional. It's been said, sow a thought, you reap an act. Sow an act, you reap a habit. Sow a habit, you reap a character. And sow a character, you reap a destiny. <coughs> Excuse me, and that destiny has consequences that are eternal. Consequences that are eternal. Look at verse 8 again. It says, you're going to reap corruption. You say, well, what's the opposite of corruption? Well, according to verse 8, what is it? Look in your Bible. What's the opposite of corruption? Eternal life. So the consequences here is not just, hey, if I sin, I'm going to have a bad life. Because there's a lot of people that sow to the flesh that are very rich, very successful, and seemingly are getting away with murder. But the answer is no, there are eternal consequences. And then that brings us to the fifth warning for the proud. Your only hope is spiritual. The only hope is spiritual. Look at what... Look at what he says again, Paul, in verse 8. The opposite of sowing to the flesh is you've got to sow to the Spirit so that from the Spirit you reap. Here's the bottom line. You can't live a fleshly life and reap spiritual results. How do I do it, Chris? Hope for the humble. Let's look at four laws of the harvest 
so that we can learn how to sow spiritually so that we reap the spiritual harvest of kingdom blessings. Not so much in this life, but in the life to come. It's both, but the greatest blessing comes in the day of the Lord when the kingdom comes and God's will is done. So let's look at four laws. Number one, we must sow to the Spirit to reap from the Spirit. Now, isn't that what Paul just says in verse 8? How many of you have read verse 8 before in your life? Okay. How many of you have read it more than once? How many know exactly or could explain what that means? You know, I mean, it's like I read that and I'm like, okay, what's that mean? So I just want to put some handles on that. What's it mean? So how do I sow to the Spirit? I gave you three answers. First of all, humble yourself before God the Father. Go before God and say, Lord, I'm a sinner, deserving of drinking the cup of your wrath. And so I humble myself before you and I beg your forgiveness. I just humble myself before you. And what does the book of James and what does Paul tell us? God resists the proud, but he gives what? Grace to the humble. So if you want to, if you want to sow to the Spirit, you got to come to the Father and He will give you grace. But where does that grace come from? It comes from His Son. So the second thing you need to do is run to the Son. And I almost said, kiss the Son. Because what does Psalm 2 say? Psalm 2 says, why do the nations rage? Why are they resisting me? Why are they resisting my people? Kiss the son, lest he be angry. You say, what is that? Well, in the, in the Middle East, you would go before a king and a ruler, and you would go face down, and you would humble yourself and kiss his feet in submission. So run to the son in submission with obedient faith by the grace that the father gives you. And then this son who has been exalted, the first thing he did when he got to heaven, 40 days later, he gave the gift of his spirit. So keep in step with the spirit. How do you sow to the spirit? You've got to get in connection with the Trinity. You've got to come to the father through his son daily in the power of his spirit. That's how you sow to the spirit. Number two, second law of sowing and reaping. We reap the same kind as we sow. We reap the same kind. That's the illustration. You put corn down, what are you going to get? Corn. You put watermelon down, what are you going to get? Watermelon. Unless you live in our area where nothing grows because we have an army of squirrels that eat everything that you attempt to grow. Kim and I have uh, encouraged one another in the misery of this. You put tomatoes down, what are you going to get? Tomato. Same kind. Now, what does Paul say? What does Paul say here? You sow to the Spirit, and what are you going to reap? You're going to reap from the Spirit. Okay? So here's here's the point. Notice, sowing to the Spirit refers... So I'm trying to define these abstract... You know, that you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm in that. Yeah, but what's that mean? Tomorrow morning. Sowing to the Spirit refers to daily living by His power and for His purpose. 
You know why the Spirit was given? Jesus tells his disciples in John 14 through 16, the Spirit's given to exalt the Son. And the Son lived to please the Father. So if I'm going to sow to the Spirit with the power that He gives me in, by indwelling me, I'm going to live to exalt Jesus in all things and strive to live to please the Father. You say, Chris, that's impossible. Well, that's why we have the Spirit. Say, Chris, that's a struggle. Yeah, it is. That's why you have the Spirit. Say, Chris, I don't always do that perfectly. Yeah, I know. I neither do I. That's why we have the Spirit. And that's why when you fail, you humble yourself to the Father, you receive grace, and you submit to the Son. And then in the Spirit, you get back in step with the Spirit and you move forward. Amen? That's what it is. That's what it's all about. Now, reaping from the Spirit, what's that mean? So if I sow, I live by His power for His purpose, but reaping means not only receiving eternal life, but living for eternity on a daily basis. So, eternal life is a gift we get the moment we get saved. It's forgiveness, and that's where we too often stop. My sins are forgiven. Now get on with life. I had my crisis. I had my moment where I was humbled, broken. I received the get out of hell card and I move on. And that's not salvation. It's eternal life. It's not only a transaction of forgiveness. It's a transformation of life where I now live differently Day by day, keeping in step with the Spirit, seeking to exalt Jesus, and seeking to please the Father in all things. So here, here's what I want to tell you. Here's what I want to tell you today. You've got to invest in spiritual things to reap spiritual fruit. You've got to invest in spiritual things to reap spiritual fruit. So what's that mean? Well, the Spirit inspired this book. So if you want to sow to the Spirit, what are you going to do? You're going to read this book with the help of the Spirit, right? The Spirit comes along, according to Romans 8, the Spirit comes along and helps us pray. So if you're going to sow to the Spirit, you're going to pray with the Spirit's help. You're going to say, Holy Spirit, help me pray today according to God's will. The Spirit baptizes us into one body, the local church, and gifts us and shapes us for ministry. So if you're going to sow to the Spirit, you're going to be an active servant in this church. You're going to invest. You say, but I don't always see the results I want to see. Well, welcome to ministry. You know, welcome to the life of Jesus on this earth. Did he see the results that he always wanted? No, but it comes... In due season, we're going to get to that. The Spirit indwells us to be a helper. So rely on the Spirit. The Spirit is also called a comforter. So seek the Spirit. I don't know where you're at this morning. I, you know, every, I'm always humbled every day, coming every week, coming to church, and realizing I have no clue what people have been through. And guess what? You don't really know what I've been through. 
You don't know the burdens I'm carrying. You, I don't always know the burdens you're carrying. We seek to do that. Our grow groups are going to restart for the fall. But the bottom line is we don't know, but the Spirit knows. Rely on Him. Go to Him. Rest in Him. And you will reap from the Spirit, Spirit fruit. Third law of the harvest. We reap in a different season than we sow. We reap in a different season than we sow. You say, Chris, where's that in this verse? Well, look again at verse 9. And I want you to look at verse 9 in your Bible. And I want you to shout out to me three different ways in this verse you see this idea that you have to wait for the harvest. So look at your verse in your Bible, verse 9, and tell me three different ways the idea that I reap in a different season than I sow. So go, go ahead, jump on it. Do not lose heart. Now, why am I going to lose heart? Because I put that little seed of corn in there and there ain't no corn yet. I invested in reading this word and sometimes it's boring to me. And sometimes I don't understand. And sometimes I just want to quit reading. And a lot of times, and I've been at this now 32, 33 years, a lot of people start reading the Bible and they encounter a God they're not ready to meet. And they're like, you know what? I don't agree with that. I'm going to stop reading. No, keep reading. Keep reading. Okay, so whoever said that, do not lose heart. Kim, bingo, gold star for the day. What's the second one? For in due time, for in due time, for in due time. Not right now. Maybe not tomorrow. Maybe not next year. And you know what? Many a time, not until the day of the Lord. Can I get an amen? And then, Jeff, what's the third one? Do not grow weary while doing good or you get burned out. <laughs> Do not grow weary. Exactly. Don't grow weary. So what's the idea? You will get weary. You will get impatient. You will want to quit. Why was Obadiah... Listen, think about Obadiah. I already said this morning, it, none of it is directly addressed to Israel. So why would God give a prophecy to a Gentile Edom, or, or, or speak to Gentile Edom, but give the prophecy to the people of Israel? You know why? Because he said, don't lose heart. Don't grow weary. Oh, bad Edom, you may be on top now, but there's coming a day when you're going to be brought low. Judah, Israel, you may be, they may, may be literally dancing on your grave on my holy mountain, but there's coming a day. And Christian, you may see the world going to hell in a handbasket, and it is. And more personal, you may see life falling apart. You may be frustrated at your job. You may be heartbroken over your family. But if you will sow to the Spirit, there is coming a day where you will have a spiritual harvest. Amen? Fourth law of the harvest is this. We will reap eternally more than we sow. 
So let's go back to the corn illustration. You put one kernel of corn in, what do you get? I know there's probably not too many farmers here. Anybody grow corn ever in this room? We are just an urban, you know, we're going to be in trouble, right? <laughs> we're just going to be in trouble. Here's the deal. What do you do? You put a kernel of corn down, Carmen. I know you know this. What do you get when you put that kernel of corn in? Watermelon. <laughs> Have I been with you this long, my child? No, what do you get? You get a whole stock of corn. And how many, e- yes, and how, how, how many ears on that corn? And how many seeds of corn, kernels of corn, are on those cobs? And what did Jesus say? You will reap 30, 60, and 100 fold. Is that, is that just not the cool? So, so here's the thing. God is gracious that when you sow to the Spirit, you get just, he does, you will reap from the Spirit in this life. You know, many a time, and I'm sure you've said this, you watch lost people go through the same things that we go through, and you go, how in the world do they go through that without the grace of God? How do they go through that without the people of God? But here's the thing. The greater harvest when you will possess your possessions, is in the kingdom to come. Remember last week when they said, when God's promise to the uh, nation of Israel, the promise was the harvesters, no, the the seed sowers are going to overtake the harvesters. Why? Because the harvest is going to be so plentiful, so abundant, that the seed sowers are like, hey, it's time to sow. No, we're still harvesting God's abundant blessings. That is the kingdom to come. That is the kingdom to come. So how does Paul end this? Verse 10. So then, while we have opportunity, between the first coming and the second coming, let us do good to all people. We need to get this message out to the lost. Amen. We need to show love and compassion to the lost. But notice what he says. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. Edom forgot that. And they're going to suffer for eternity. Don't you grow weary. Don't you lose heart. Keep sowing to the Spirit and you're going to reap from the Spirit. Man, is that... I don't know about you, but I'm encouraged. I hope you are too. Because the law is biblical, universal, unconditional. The consequences are eternal. And your only hope is the Spirit of God. Next week, we're going to wrap up, uh, Lord willing, this book. And we're going to look at another warning to the proud and another hope for the humble. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the, the good word. Your word's amazing. It connects, I mean, here Obadiah connecting back with Genesis, pointing us forward to your son Jesus, taking us into the book of Galatians. Lord, there is goodness in your word. Lord, may we sow to the Spirit and may each person here reap a harvest in the kingdom to come. Lord, let's, I I just pray that we would like go before you and make sure that we are not in the 
descendants of the proud, but we have been humbled and by grace through faith in Jesus have entered in and become of the seed and the descendants of Joseph, the better Joseph, the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.